You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful day in Atlanta. And we uh, it may be a, a beautiful day all over the country today. Who knows what's going to happen next, but it may happen. And we've got a special guest on all the way from Peachtree Corners. And he happens to be the city manager. And uh, Brian, good morning. David, how are you? I'm doing fine. And uh, we're going to do what we always do. And that is we're going to take out for a moment and uh, uh, think about our veterans and just a moment of silence. And uh, we'll be back right after this with... Brian, and and we'll probably do a little cadence call. We do that well. So we'll just take out one minute, and we'll be right back. Thank you for taking that moment and thinking about those that have given the ultimate sacrifice over the years, be it recently or be it uh, for the last 240 years. They all fought, fought for you and me, as did our guest today who served in uh, Iraq and Iran, and we'll be talking a little bit about that. We'll also be talking about... Um, what's going on in Peachtree Corners, and we'll be back with a little bit more right after we get up and going. Get out of the sack. And there we go. So, Brian, did that get you up and going this morning? Um, when you go running or do anything, but I always knew it when it was when I was running, I could always run longer, run faster. When I was in a group and we were doing cadence, it just gets your, you know, it's a motivating factor in and of itself. It's got a lot of energy to it. And, of course, when you, especially if you do group runs, you never want to be that guy that falls out first. So, uh, yeah, I miss that. <laughs> well, you know, this is something that I've said over and over again, and you were you've certainly been in since I have. But, you know, I realize 
more and more how, and we're going to see the military in action, I think, again uh, for our very first time, but we'll just drop it at that. But the uh, point is, over the years, they have perfected so many things and so many so many subtleties that you, at the time you don't realize what's going on. But like you said, you're doing a force run or, or you're doing a whatever, you know, force march, uh, double timing, whatever you're doing. And then uh, your platoon leader or your platoon sergeant starts up a cadence call and and you get that little, like you said, that little bolt, uh, and you you make it the rest of the way. And you know th- this doesn't just happen. This is this is training, and this is a, is um, you know uh, DI training, drill instructing training, and knowing when to start that. You know, you look around at your troops, and they're looking a little down, so you start that cadence call, and it and it picks people back up. But that's true. You know, everything from that wonderful first haircut by paid for by the government there's a reason and uh yeah they break you down and build you up and that's what it's all about and uh, you are right the even the private sector in in some capacities emulates what the military does very well and that is to take somebody's independent um, you know perspective on things and kind of break it down and build it back up in more of the group you know think group you know uh, mission oriented uh, you know posture such that you learn what it's like to be something part of something bigger than just you and that it's not always about you and that Um, You know, you don't want to be the weakest link and that you want to, you know, both work towards getting that goal or to help others do it if they're the weakest link. And it just, you know, it's what a lot of people um, that were in the military miss is that, you know, that that feeling of being part of that greater cause and working together that way. And, you know, the private sector has a hard time creating the same environment because as you know when you're in the military you know it's kind of a 24 7 culture and, and ethos and the private sector can't really do that but it, it is a it is a tried and true method and it certainly works and i um i was able to do things and accomplish things and graduate from schools that if i had not really been embracing that philosophy i certainly would not have been able to do well, you know, it's it's uh, the the old saying: uh, you you got your buddies back, you got your the you I got your six, or whatever you want to call it, and it it teaches you to take care. You know, it's sort of like now I never I never <laughs> was in the brick and mortar types of barracks, the newer ones. I was always in the World War Two. Uh, matchstick jungle, you know, and uh, we had a thing. I, I I assume they have it in the all of the barracks. I don't know because I never was in anything but the old wooden ones. But uh, you know, you'd share fire watch, and you'd think, you know, why in the world am I walking around at two o'clock in the morning watching for fires or whatever? And then it dawned on you that, well, you know. These old buildings are vulnerable to 
to burning, and I, I would hate for my platoon or anybody in my platoon to get hurt because I screwed up. And uh, even though it sounds like a very mundane and very sort of a stupid thing, and uh, why don't they just have fire alarms? But, you know, yeah, we have fire watches, and that's what it was called. And Well, you know, David, they still do that in uh, especially at least the infantry branches of the Army and the Marine Corps, even in buildings that have fire alarms and are, you know, steel and, and, and mortar. And the purpose is not really to watch for fires anymore, per se. It's to start getting people to understand that, you know, everybody in the barracks that's sleeping are essentially vulnerable at that point. You know, they're asleep, they don't know what's going on, and your job is to make sure that you keep a watchful eye on anything, you know, fire or otherwise, that could, you know, put them at risk. And I will tell you, there is an importance to it, even if it's done symbolically, because I know there were plenty of times... Um, when I was deployed overseas, um, you know, especially like in high op tempo environments in combat where you go long periods of time without sleep, when you do get a chance to sleep and you really crash, you know, you're really yeah. out, you need to know that you can depend on the person who it's their job to be pulling security, that they can stay awake, that they've had some experience in doing the things that they need to do to stay awake. Um, you know, the mind games you play sometimes with yourself, the, the little tricks to make sure you stay observant because people are depending on you. And so there's a method to all of those, you know, uh, or, you know, a madness to all those methods. Um, there's an ultimate goal, and, and it pays off. So, David, it doesn't need to be stick-built anymore. They still, uh, they still pull fire uh, watch is what they call it uh, in the barracks so um, that, that's why i had that wonderful baton yep <laughs> and, and you know and it doesn't even stop there i mean you know basic training um, it's you know it's infamous for um, the stories you hear of what some of the you know uh, the, the the soldiers think is petty little things that the drill instructors are, are jamming them up about. Like, you know, you didn't have your foot locker a certain way. You didn't fold your T-shirt a certain way. You didn't do that. Now, yes, it is in the grand scheme of things petty, but it's actually done for a very distinct reason, and that's teaching attention to detail. And if you do not teach that and the importance of it, um, it can have you know, catastrophic consequences. I mean, sure. even something as simple as some uh, aircraft mechanic is supposed to turn a bolt exactly so many times with so much torque, no more, no less. And they may think, What's, what, what does it matter? I tighten the bolt and I move on. But that bolt may need that exact, you know, torque because if not, it could shear off and in mid-flight, the plane could come apart and the pilot dies. I mean, you know, all of those things all comes down to the lessons of teaching attention to detail. And it can, it starts with making sure you can, you know, fold your t-shirt a proper way and you pay attention to that and learn that. So again, there's, 
this is all done for a reason. And, and later on in life, you, you don't know it at the time, but it really does pay off. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, there'll be... I don't know if I mentioned this on our previous uh, engagement, but there'll be times that I'll be in la-la land someplace or something and think of, okay, I realize why we did that. And mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm 50 years out of being in basic training. But, you know, at the time you thought, why in the world are we doing this? This is crazy, you know, or, you know, well, what is, I have my degree from college. He has his degree. He has his diploma from high school, maybe. And why am I doing this? And then it will dawn on me. And, you know, they, uh, the military, and I think it's probably changed to some degree, but they uh, they taught by repetition, and you'd do the same thing over and over and over again until you got it right. And yet, we I was very fortunate. Uh, both of my companies, Basic and AIT, uh, were made up of primarily college graduates. And uh, this messed up the DI's heads because we'd get it right the first or second time. <laughs> and, and they didn't know what to do with the other three hours, you know. But it's, Oh, uh, I'm sure they came up with some creative ways to fill it, though, didn't they? Oh, yeah. We, we never wasted a minute uh, putting on, taking off ponchos, uh, putting on when the sun came out. Taking off when it started raining again, you know. So, uh, yeah, we we practiced a lot of things, but I I wouldn't give much of anything from my brief encounter in basic and AIT. It's probably one of the if I'd had any sense at all, I would have stayed in the military. But um, you know, I I honestly believe everybody should have that experience, and uh, unless you have. You really don't know what Brian's talking about, and uh, it's just an amazing thing. So let's go on to uh, Peachtree Corners and uh, what's going on, and and you're not too far from my neighborhood, uh, Johns Creek, so what's going on in Peachtree Corners? I am not, Um, but, you know, we, as as all communities, have a lot of um, interesting things going on, but maybe one that may be more interesting than others is um, the decision the city made about two years ago to create um, what is um, become a internationally known living laboratory for technology. And by that, I mean this. Peachtree Corners is only nine years old as a city, but it really started back in the late 60s when a Georgia Tech graduate turned developer named Paul Duke um, came way out here where, you know, at the time I'm sure it was, but, you know, we're only 20 miles from Midtown, but came out Peachtree Corners and started speculatively constructing office buildings and filling them only with technology companies. And he got, in order to create, what he wanted was a technology park, an office park oriented around one theme. And he got inspiration from Research Triangle area of North Carolina. And he started doing it up here and actually... Um, into the 70s created what became Metro Atlanta's very first technology parks called Tech Park Atlanta. And it's 
become over the decades over 500 acre technology park. There's um, over 8,000 people who work in businesses here. Um, almost 2,000 people live inside a technology park, and it's so it's become a force in and of itself. It's actually where the modem was invented. Hmm. Um, it's actually where the color printer was invented in Scientific Atlanta, which is now Cisco. Everybody's heard of it. It was founded here in Peachtree Corners. And as it grew, people wanted to live close to where they work. And, you know, uh, over the decades, we got to a, 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 as a community to a point where the people here wanted to be their own city. And we got crea- uh, created. And so now we're about 50,000 people and about 50,000 jobs. So that in and of itself isn't unique, but what is unique is technology is, um, you know, we were born out of technology. This community exists because Tech Park Atlanta was created and the people live close to it and we, and we this local economy was created. Well, we were looking a couple years ago at ways that we could attract or, or retain businesses. Cities do that all the time. It's called economic development. And we noticed as we were looking through the world, or looking at the world through the lens of a technology community, we noticed that technology tended to go through an evolution. When, when technology concepts are created, they tend to get tested in a closed controlled laboratory environment where you don't want to have a lot of variables, you don't want to have a lot of safety risks and and all that stuff, and so you start testing it, but some of that technology ends up passing all the tests, and now it's time for it to be tried in a public environment, meaning where there are people to see if it works with the general public, and we noticed that there was not a real place that had been constructed specifically for that. Uh, Brian, so, can, I, can I stop you there? Yeah. And uh, we need to take a break, and we'll come back Absolutely. and talk more about that, which is very interesting. And uh, we'll get we'll dig down into um, all of Peachtree Corners. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. 
Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we do thank you for listening, and we've got listeners all over the world that tune in because we're veteran-owned, and we play to the veterans, and uh, we're proud to have a veteran on right now that, uh, you know, Brian, I, as we were talking about the experiences that you have when you go through basic and AIT and whatever the different branches call it, and then you go on to active duty, and how it has to help you when you come out of the service, if you decide you want to go into civilian life, or if some, a lot of people, and thank goodness for them, want to stay in the military. But so when you came out of the military, uh, how has it helped you as a city manager? Well, so, you know, certainly there are a lot of both leadership and I could, you could even go so far as the, I've heard the term followership that the military teaches that help you. I mean, you know, most of the time we talk about how it teaches you to be a leader, and that is true. But it also, of course, teaches you how to be a good follower, meaning to be good supportive of, the, you know, those you have to answer to, to know when to, you might need to, you know question reasons, you know, that there's, or, you know, ask questions about the mission, how you can do that. You know, we forget that about the military as, you know, we we are a part of a team that does have somebody up the chain that we're answering to as well. And so it's to a degree, uh, um, a bi-directional relationship. But anyway, there, there is a lot of unique things that have helped me specific to city management. I will tell you that it's helped me in managing uh, both complicated projects with lots of moving parts. I mean, combat certainly does that. But maybe one of the things that people oftentimes will make a comment about when it comes to me managing the city that I that maybe I take for granted is I have to lead a lot of public meetings where residents are in a large room to hear about something the city's doing oftentimes it can be controversial you know zoning decisions that could affect people's property fees or taxes going you know up potentially projects coming in that people may or may not like and so there's a lot that goes on that is can be emotionally and highly charged and You know, I I certainly were put in positions within the military where I was in rooms like that, and they trained me to do that very thing. I remember after I was part of the invasion of Iraq, and when the Saddam Hussein regime fell, I was they the city of Baghdad where where we were at in the green zone was divided up. into 
sections, and then those sections would have uh, uh, an infantry company usually would be in charge of that area of the city. And, you know, we were having to be everything for a while. All of the local government resources had ceased to, um, you know, continue. And so we were the police force. We were recruiting people to go back to pick up trash. We were doing everything for a little while. And I remember after the it was announced that we were pivoting from combat into peacekeeping, that I had to meet with the local religious leaders and then have a big public meeting of local civic leaders about how things were going to be for a period of time until we stand everything back up. And, you know, I walked into a room full of Sunnis and Shias that lived in the same area and had been fighting each other for a thousand years. And I had to, you know, discuss with them as the officer in charge of that sector, how I was going to manage things and how we were going to all work to get along, you know, that I wasn't going to, I wasn't arrogant enough to think that I could solve all of the things that they had been fighting over. But, you know, it's certainly a hostile environment, but when you walk into meetings like that, and you're trying to get people to understand, you know, why you're doing things, to answer questions that they have, whether they like the answer or not. Do it in a professional manner. Don't get take things personal or get emotional and fired up yourself, despite the fact that there could be, you know, things said that make you mad, could be directed at you. But when you keep your cool on there, I mean, that's pretty good training ground to, you know, to come back and have similar meetings here. They don't seem to be as big of a deal here when you put it in the context of some of the some of the meetings I've had. So, you know, the military certainly provides a dynamic environment for you to have to do some of that sometimes. Let me ask, Ned, uh you work with any, and they had disbanded them, and then they brought him back to life, uh, civil affairs units? Oh, absolutely. The very first civil affairs um, personnel in Iraq were, um, you know, started to embed with the, the you know, because I was an infantry officer, so with the infantry units that had been part of the, the um, invasion. In fact, the reason I got into city management is basically that, follow-on mission I had after the regime fell. I stood the local government back up, you know, got the trash, you know, get, get trash collected again, get the wastewater treatment plant up and running again, get the police and fire back to operating, get the hospital stood back up. And I started it before civil affairs got there, civil affairs showed up and started working with me. And so I enjoyed that level of government, you know, the government that's really providing the direct final services to people. Really, the part that people take the most granted, I mean, you know, when you wake up and you turn the water on and it's clean and it's clear and it comes out with enough pressure and volume for you, you take it for granted, but that's city. You know, electricity comes on a lot of times at city. The roads that you travel to work or wherever being paved well and going where you want, that's city. I mean, police and fire, city. I mean, that's the real 
I, I enjoy that level of government because I feel like that's the level of government that you don't have any politics in. You know, potholes don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, <laughs> if you're liberal or conservative. They just want to get patched. And I like that, and I learned that when I was standing up the the section of Baghdad I had with Sadr City, when I was standing that organ, that local government back up. And so when it was time for me to, I decided to resign my commission and become a civilian, it is what this profession I'm in is what I explored on how I could get into it. So that, that very reason and working with civil affairs and seeing what they were doing and, and then coming back and garrison commanders in, in the military um, are are very similar to city managers. You know, you know, you go on into a military installation and it's a city in and of itself. Sure. We're going to have to stop you know, for another break and uh, we'll be back with Brian right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. And we're back on um, on David's Pick on America's Web Radio. Our guest is Brian Johnson, City Manager of Peachtree Corners and Veteran. And we were just talking about civil affairs. That was my last unit in the Army Reserves was a three-tenth civil affairs. Shortly after I got out, um, they disbanded civil affairs for a while. And then I guess because of the... Uh, Middle East, that was when they started it back up again. And uh, there is a need to be able, when you, and this is uh, probably the greatest thing ever in the world. And correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but as powerful as the United States is, and we are, we're the most powerful country in the world, and we can destroy almost anything we would decide to destroy but at the same token it has been our history after we have destroyed we've gone back in and rebuilt same way we did in world war ii with the japanese in europe and then like you said in the middle east we destroyed it but we didn't just leave them hopeless or helpless. We came back in and we gave 
to the folks that we had taken away from and that and that's a that's a big job to wake up one morning and not have water and not have electricity and not knowing when you're ever going to get it again and and depending on a on a state that's been destroyed it's hard for them to get their act together to rebuild and yet that's what civil affairs does and that's and they organize it and they put it together and then they work with i guess you all worked with cbs and and any other construction groups in the military to get things working again it does separate us as a country from others in that we do we do try at least to leave an area of the world that we may have been dragged into from from a military standpoint to try to leave it at least no worse than we found it. Sometimes we do better than others when it comes to that. But yes, the term of nation building, you know, where you're trying to help the local indigenous population rebuild their, you know, governmental and and civil infrastructure such that one day we can leave and they can govern themselves is is certainly a strategic mission of the country and and that is why civil affairs exist is to help it's almost like you know army special forces where their mission is to advise the local you know native population on you know um, you know combat matters, civil affairs advises the locals on civil matters so that they can ultimately, again, govern themselves and so they kind of act as you know, temporary city managers um, helping, you know, cities and foreign countries do it. We actually have programs where they spend some time even in partner countries of ours, just learning different ways to do things in the world that they can employ uh, when they are deployed there, so I'm certainly I'm sure that was an interesting unit to be in, but it is a, an important one because there's a lot of places in the world that don't necessarily have the experience to govern themselves if they've been living under dictatorships or under the rule of other other countries. Well, I, you know, I, I guess in some ways we're very unique in that even though. We have our civilian side. We also have our military side. But in many, many ways, they're comparable. Uh, The military, certainly, you have a general in the room, and that's different, sort of, from having the governor in the room. But in some ways, it's the same, you know? And uh, it's, uh, it's why we have succeeded it's why we've been been able to succeed and and you know we have the the military but actually the military is ruled by civilians when you get right down to it and yet uh, you still have the order you you have to have order and there's got to be somebody at the top and then there are people like me that have to fill the shoes at the bottom so it's all it's very interesting how we have been so successful at what we've done and will continue to be in my opinion 
So let's get back to uh, Peachtree Corners and uh, tell us, you know, really, we want to continue to build Peachtree Corners and and all of our monuments and memorials to our veterans. And uh, tell us more. Uh, scratch that itch of people wanting to know about Peachtree Corners. All right. Well, I mean, we're con- you know again. As a community, we're in North, you know, Metro Atlanta, um, and you know, when, when it comes to communities, um, as all communities want, you you want a diverse quality of life. You want to be able to have, um, you know, a diverse housing stock to be able to, depending on where you what demographic, you know, socioeconomic demographic you are. We want, you want to have a good stock of rental units for people to choose from all the way up to, you know, large single family homes. You want different types of neighborhoods. Cities always strive for that. We think that we have a pretty diverse, you know, offering there. You want to have diversity of jobs. You want to have a lot of, you know, um, jobs in tech, a lot of jobs in the service sector. You want, you know, good restaurants. You want good recreational opportunities, parks and other gathering places. You want programs oriented towards, you know, young kids. You want to have things for, you know, people who kids or aren't kids to to do art and other entertainment. You want a great school system. Um, you know, you that that ensures that you both have a good workforce and that families want to move there with kids, want to move there. And then, you know, as you know, we all have a hometown. And if you really love your hometown, where you grew up, what you know, and when you do finish your educational career, it's time for a job. If your hometown was a good place to be born and raised, and it has opportunity for you most people want to go back to where they had a very good experience so we work really hard to be that Um, like a lot of communities we have room for improvements in some areas and we're strong in others again we're a very tech-oriented city we have you know because we've been blessed with some of our background we have you know autonomous vehicles operating here we have Teleoperated e-scooters, e-scooters that can be driven to you by a remote person over a mobile signal, like an Uber or a Lyft. You can actually call for this e-scooter, and somebody using a camera on the e-scooter can actually drive it remotely. That's being tested here. We have so our technology is very much a driver of the economic development in this city. We are headquarters of a lot of large technology companies that you know you've heard of like Siemens and others that um, you know are doing things in that industry so you know at the end of the day we are um, we strive to be that community that people were you know have a great experience in or proud of and, and can come back to and, and even our town center that we just built we just built a um, essentially half uh, doubled our downtown and put in a two-acre gathering place, a town green, a, a lawn, an event lawn for people to 
do everything from throw frisbees to watch concerts. But at one end of it, we put a veterans monument, um, a large one that came from was the brainchild of a couple of council members. I think one you've had on your show, Alex Wright. Um, he and our current mayor are both veterans themselves, and they thought, you know what, what better time um, than to, uh, to to put a veterans monument of some kind than to do it when the city was constructing this event lawn. And so city donated you know, or carved out space, and a local group of veterans formed a, a nonprofit committee and raised some money. And when I say some money, a lot of money Um, and, you know, three quarters of a million dollars. And as a result, that with contributions from the city, we have a very um, well done, quite uh, comprehensive veterans monument here. We have standalone statues um, uh, of representing every branch of the military. We've got. Uh, a wall encircling the whole thing that makes mention of military campaigns and wars throughout history. You can buy brick pavers and memory, you know, in memory of certain people. And, you know, so it's not just this one like obelisk or one plaque. I mean, this is full of, you know, life-size statues um, and a flag plaza and the whole thing. And, you know, that's part of the community, too, is recognizing veterans, remembering sacrifices those have made and putting a location where we can do uh, things. You know, we always have a ceremony out there on Memorial Day and one on Armed Forces Day. And and so it's, um, you know, as a resident of the community that I manage, I take a lot of pride in thinking that we're very diverse and our diversity of is both in our people and in our quality of life offerings. Certainly having a place to think about veterans is an important part of it. Okay, uh, Brian, you brought it up, so I would be negligent if I didn't ask. What are your plans for the 4th? And I don't, I don't mean your uh, personal plans, but... Right. So for the 4th, what the city does is we have not, as a new city, we're only nine years old, so there are some neighboring cities who have some events that we have not wanted to step on their toes. So on the 4th, we are only doing a concert. Um, so we're having a big, it's a, um, an Eagles cover band that's playing at the town green that I just talked about and there'll be some fireworks and everything, but we don't have anything huge. Now what the city also does do though is state route 141, Peachtree Industrial Boulevard. It crosses through the middle of Peachtree Corners and it has a median. It's a divided highway. It has a big grass median. And so for the fourth, my public works department goes out and we have embedded in the ground Um, conduit for us to put flags in there. And so we line, we put like 180 flags up the median of the city. So when you come through over um, 4th of July, you run right through a a long, you know, couple mile stretch of of flags all down the median. It's pretty cool. Um, We have a lot of people who are patriotic here, veterans or otherwise. And so it's a, it's a big deal to us as it is most. And so we look forward to celebrating it as a community. That's great. That's great. And, and I, as you were talking about that, I can just see some uh, good photographers taking advantage of that look. 
Oh, we certainly, uh, we have plenty of those here, and we have some pretty cool shots. We do. I mean, our, at our fifth anniversary, instead of fireworks, we actually did a drone show. Oh, neat. <laughs> so, yes. So we had a company come out, and they have drones essentially do a show in the sky. These drones will do things. They'll change shapes. They'll... Um, they can create things that looks like, you know, a, a, a person walking. I mean, it, it, you know, they can draw faces um, as they hover. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, and we've got a big, we have a STEM high school here, and they have a big drone club. And so we do a lot of things with, you know, unmanned aerial vehicles. We've even had a ribbon cutting of our living lab here, our technology lab. And the drone club flew the ribbon in down the road for all the dignitaries to, to ultimately cut. But it was they cut a ribbon that was being stretched across the road by two drones flown oh. by two members of the drone club. So How clever. Yeah, we have some pretty cool yeah, we have some pretty cool you know, when you have technology and you have a a, a population that understands it, oftentimes, you know, a lot of them work in it. Um, so they they support it, and um, you can do some pretty cool things. And we're excited about you know some of the some of the first that we've had here in the world, and our place, and maybe helping evolve some technology that's out there. But yeah, drones are certainly um, the wave of the future, and we're you know we're doing some testing out here. Some of the companies are testing drone food delivery and drone package delivery. Mm -hmm. So you could like mm -hmm. order from Chick-fil-A and instead of, you know, having to go to the drive-thru or potentially have somebody drive your food to you, they put it on a drone and it flies to your place of business and it can drop it in a food kiosk. And they use that to walk out the door and, you know, put your coat in and you got your little Chick-fil-A sandwich or... <laughs> McDonald's Big Mac or whatever. It's it's amazing what's out there in the world that we may see right around the corner. And what's more is what's coming tomorrow. That's, that's you know, when you were a young man or just a kid, did you ever think, you know, like uh, we do a lot with um, land surveyors, and they have utilized drones now in their business in a big way, and you know, our I, again, this is what, in my opinion, makes America great, is that there's no limitation put on your thought process or anybody else's. And I, I guess the uh, we were, we were cut off by YouTube for a week, censored, and. You know, come to find out, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I'm sure you know Google owns YouTube and Google's. Yep. It came out yesterday that Google's was giving money to Wahoo, where the, the lab in China. And this is why whenever you mention COVID-19 or uh, oxychloroquine, that they would shut, they would shut us down. And because, you know, it's not too hard to figure out putting the dots together what it was all about. And, uh, you know, but yet I, I don't want ever censorship in the United States. 
And as long as we're free and man can can dream, can you know, don't you know that somebody out there that had drones on his or her mind was sitting in a chair dreaming about this little thing that could fly around and deliver pizzas and or whatever the thought might have been. But that's what makes the United States the greatest country in the world. We're not we're not limited in our thoughts. Just like Peachtree Corners, the idea of having a tech park and and I just I, I could see the drones flying with the red tape. That, that's just I love it, uh, cutting the red ribbon. Um, and I assume Brian that you take credit for all of that, right? Oh, absolutely. It was just me and nobody else. No, 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 no. I'm I'm well aware of my limitations, so I know that if I can surround myself with people who are smarter than me, I can. I can isolate them from distractions, keep them from, you know, being pulled in different directions. I can give them the resources they need, and then I can get out of their way. That's the kind of stuff that they can do. So I got a great staff. I got a great mayor and council who provide, you know, give me all the support I need to, you know, then let them, them go. And like you said, we're a very inventive country with people who come up with pretty cool things all the time and if we can just you know give them an environment that incubates their thought and give them the resources they need to maybe try it out and and yes lots of times fail but each time you know they fail they learn something wasn't it uh, was it edison when you know somebody was like you failed you know a hundred times to or it took you a hundred Uh, attempts to invent the light bulb and he was like well you know those 99 other times were helped me because it was taught me a way not to you know make a light bulb and so we learn from those mistakes and yes um stifling freedom of thought freedom of speech is certainly going to inhibit our ability to continue to be a world leader in, in in innovation well i think uh I think we will be, and I think um, that no matter what happens is that the bottom line is there's there's nobody in Peachtree Corners that's a, a Peachtree corner, Cornerism or corner, whatever you'd call it. We're all right. Americans, you know, and that's yep. the bottom line. And Peachtree Corners wouldn't be Peachtree Corners if it wasn't for America. and uh, That is true. And is, can you think offhand, is there any other city in the world like Peachtree Corners? No. I mean, you know, of course, every community probably has something distinct. But, yet, yeah, no, certainly within the technology in the, you know, area, the companies we have here, and then the, the laboratory we have created so we've, we've created this environment for companies to come and test and do things here. It, 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 no, there is none like us. I mean, so to, the, to that point, you know, we have agreements with countries for them to send companies here to test. With the nation of Israel, with uh, um, the country of France, the French-American Chamber 
has a location. They moved their offices here from the French consulate because they knew that we were a community. They wanted to have French tech companies come in, land in the U.S. And Peachtree Corners are a great location. Now, of course, we do have to remember, you know, Atlanta, Metro Atlanta is really a, you know, collection of lots of different cities and, and counties. And so we are a little bit unique versus like a Chicago that the city itself is the, the big, you know, and the city of Atlanta, less than a million people in that city. And so Metro Atlanta is really a lot of cities like Peachtree Corners. Right. Um, so we know we depend on them. There is an ecosystem here that does support us. We couldn't do it if we were in the middle of nowhere. We have, you know, very important partnerships with local companies like Georgia or, in, or institutions also like Georgia Tech that we could do without their assistance and, you know, the Metro Atlanta Chamber. So, you know, we're a, a small, we're a, what, like America as a whole, we're a, a spoke in the wheel. But, you know, we are an important spoke. And if we weren't here, the wheel wouldn't be quite as strong. But we certainly are not the main effort here. And we're just doing our part to try to be a, you know, great community for people to live, work, learn and play. Well, you know, this is, again, something that um, and I assume at some points there might be some jealousy or whatever but at the same token we as americans we overcome most obstacles and realize the bottom line is working together and you know i can't imagine that peachtree corners is ready to open a a hartsville jackson airport so we depend (laughs) on atlanta and uh yep you know, it just all it it has to work together, and God knows, I wish the world could come up with that. Where, you know, every country in the world has something good and some asset, and if we could all get it together to combine our good parts and work together, what a wonderful world this would be! Yeah, it shouldn't be out of tragedy or out of, you know, significant, you know, risk, it shouldn't only be out of that do we come together and put aside some of our other differences, many or maybe even most of which are petty. Um, It is unfortunate, but, you know, there are humans involved and we sometimes forget that and lose sight of it. I mean, you know, even with your own family members sometimes, you know, you're... You, you take it for granted and you don't always act the best. And in hindsight, you're like, man, you know, I was petty about that and I should have appreciated them for who they are and, you know, the opportunities to spend time and maybe, you know, I should change my ways and think, you know, all of us could, could do a little bit of more of that for sure. Absolutely. And uh, without getting into it, uh, we're all humans, and uh, we do make mistakes, and yet we're blessed that uh, our mistakes can be forgiven at some point or the other. But anyway, Peachtree Corners. Are. Pardon me. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just going to Well, the last thing is, is, you know, and even more important, too, as what I hope is us coming out the other end of this pandemic 
and getting back to a sense of, you know, normalcy that, um, you know, even more so is you know, everybody's kind of been in their little holes, if you will, you know, kind of isolated. And now that we're going to start interacting with each other even more, it's going to even, you know, be that much more important that we learn to be open-minded and to be patient with each other. I agree. I, I second what you say. And uh, one last rapid question is, um, is there a, a big plan in the future as far as uh, Peachtree? Have you got something on the drawing board that uh, that you can't tell, but you'll tell us? <laughs> well, we, you know, we always have, um, there, there, you, you hate it, but there's always sometimes simmering some really big projects. You know, it could be a, you know, performing arts, you know, venue that you might do, or it could be, you know, in a company that's expanding with some exciting product. We have a few of those, but, you know, we, we do think that we are going to have a large deployment of autonomous shuttles in the city very soon. So, you know, this would be instead of the typical bus system, um, it would be, uh, you know, driven by a bus driver. These would be shuttles driven by a computer hmm. and you know we've had them here already and being tested and the company that tested here went back and made some modifications and they're coming back with version 2.0 and wow. we're uh, we're looking to deploy those maybe in the next um 30 to 60 days and they'll be fueled by they're electric they're electric okay they are and so they know, get their they get their like battery the charge from where um, lots of places. We actually have the largest DC. We have the largest fast charging hub in Metro Atlanta at our parking deck at our town center. We have 16 of them in one location. Wow. Um, but yeah, we have a number of them around the city. As you know, they're starting to proliferate. But, you know, of course, Georgia Power is the power provider and Georgia Power is multiple ways in which they generate electricity. So I'm not sure exactly where this electricity is being generated, but that is how we get our juice. Well, you know, will you come back, Brian, and be on uh, David's pick again? Of course. You're, um, I'm at your disposal, so whenever you're desperate enough to want me on your show, <laughs> I will uh, certainly accept the invitation. I, well, I don't think it would be out of desperation, just out of knowledge and uh, promoting Peachtree Connors. But, you know, I, I love the idea of of what you all did with the drones that that's just that you know that says a lot about peach tree corners that they're innovative and that they don't mind i don't want to say taking a risk but they don't mind doing something that nobody else has done or nobody else is doing and i commend you i commend your mayor and your city council for for being futuristic well, we appreciate it, and thanks for giving me a venue to talk about it. We're, we're proud of our city. Uh, we wouldn't live here and, you know, in my case, work here if I wasn't. Um, and so uh, I appreciate that opportunity to talk a little bit about um, our community. Um, there are a lot of good ones out there. We're not the only one for sure, but we do have a little piece of Shangri-La that we think we have right, uh, right here in North Metro Atlanta. That's great. That's great. 
Well, we're going to have to close it out. And uh, thank you again for being on, Brian. And we'll be in touch uh, talking about Peachtree Connors. David, thanks again. You take care. Thanks for this opportunity. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.